Hey, welcome to Plant Yourself. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Two quick announcements before we get to today's show. If you're interested in becoming a health coach, I'm offering another run due to popular demand for people who can't make 8 p.m. on Wednesday nights, Eastern Time. So we're doing another run of the program, which will meet the practicums will meet at 10 a.m. on Wednesdays, Eastern Time U.S., which means if you're in Europe or Africa, uh, that might be good for you. Also, if you're in the US and evenings aren't good and you have free time in the mornings, either 7 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 10 to 1130 Eastern, then you can participate. If you want to find out more about becoming a wicked effective health coach, you can go to wellstartcoach.com. Second thing is, if you're not aware of it, Josh Lajani and I have a book that is free on Amazon Kindle. It's called Sick to Fit. And if you just go to Amazon and search for Sick to Fit, you'll be able to download it for free and read it on any Kindle enabled device, even a phone, smartphone, tablet, computer, whatever. All right, let's get to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson with plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a generous and juicy life. So today, a familiar face and voice to many of you, Joe Cross. He is the guy behind the wildly popular documentary Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead, which came out almost uh, 10 years ago. And what I was interested in was his story since the film came out. So we talk a little bit about what led up to it, in case you don't know who he is, or you haven't seen the film about how he was fat, sick with an autoimmune disease and leading a, a frankly, very unhealthy lifestyle and how he decided to turn it around in an extreme way with the 60 days of just having fresh vegetable and fruit juices, mostly vegetable juices, I believe, and decided as he was doing it, sort of cinema verite, to chronicle it and with the idea of turning it into a movie. So kind of predicting his own transformation and then turning it into a film, a franchise, a business, and as I thought about preparing for the interview, what I was really interested in, really curious about was what it's like to navigate as a well-lebrity, a wellness celebrity, as someone who is putting his life out in the public eye as an example of good health. And that because Joe has been public about the fact that he doesn't have washboard abs, he's not a thin guy, his weight goes up and down. And what kind of responsibility do we have once we create a public persona for ourselves to, on the one hand, be inspiring and really push ourselves to our limits to be our best selves? And what kind of responsibility do we have to be honest and vulnerable? And I feel like Joe has thought about this a lot and has done a lot of work um, struggling with these two tensions. And I am not at his level of fame I certainly am not you know, recognized in airports, uh, except by my own family when they come pick me up. But working with Wellstart Health and working with some of our celebrity coaches like Josh, like Sarah and others who just become celebrities by virtue of the, the stark transformations they undergo and their ability to talk about it and connect with people and be vulnerable and to have these you know, attractive personas and personalities um, and knowing them, you know, that they aren't perfect. And how do we navigate 
And this is something I think that each of us can do in our own lives as well, because if we're role models for others, how do we not give people excuses to let themselves off the hook if we're going to, you know, eat a chocolate bar here or there or skip a workout? Do we want to hide that from people? Do we want to be really open about it? And so Joe had some really interesting thoughts on that topic. The other thing I wanted to get at was something that I don't think it was really tackled head on in the film, which was what did Joe do when he wanted to break his protocol? And what strategies, what self-regulation strategies, tools, tactics did he deploy to stay pure for the 60 days that he was being filmed? And which ones of those are still useful to him? And which ones does he teach to his students and his audience today? Before we get to the interview, just a quick word that today is the last chance really to sign up for this current WellStart cohort. It began yesterday, but there's just one video to watch to catch up. And if you're interested, you can go to wellstarthealth.com program and sign up today. Uh, you will still get you in. You'll still meet everyone in the cohort. And we're still giving away for free the cuffs and scale, the blood pressure cuff and the Bluetooth scale so that you can have that have those fun accountability toys in your bathroom next to your bed in your life so that you and your coaches can look at the data and assess what you're doing and see if there needs to be tweaks made one way or the other. The other goodie that I'll bribe you with is this is an un unannounced bonus until now that when you sign up, you get a free 15 minute coaching session with me. And obviously, I can't do all of them forever. I have so many other responsibilities uh, and constraints on my time. But for right now, you can go and sign up, pick your 15 minute slot, and we will have a coaching call in which I will bring all of my coaching charms to bear to help you get traction and to move forward in the right direction. People have been telling me that those uh, 15 minute calls have been very helpful. So if you're interested, again, wellstarthealth.com slash program. And with that, let's get to today's conversation with Mr. Reboot himself, Joe the Juicer. So without further ado, Joe Cross, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Howard, it's great to be here, mate. Very excited. And uh, uh, you're looking well over there in uh, East Coast. I'm up on the West Coast today, and we've got a lucky people to have all the sun shining. Very nice. Very nice. Hope you. This is, this is your morning, so I hope you have a wonderful day in front of you. Thanks, mate. So, um, yeah, so we were chatting before, and you reminded me that uh, your movie, uh, your first movie, uh, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, is eight years old at this point. Yeah, it first came out uh, on uh, to the distribution world. Like the the uh, the launch was in 2011. Although during 2010, I was in film festivals and I was traveling across America with uh, my laptop and uh, a screen. And I was in Whole Foods stores. I was in local churches. I was in school halls. So I did do a huge outreach uh, sort of ground ground game. Uh, for at least 12 months before it went to Netflix and iTunes. I see. Gotcha. So I think, you know, I want to like get into what's been happening since then. But I think for the for the yeah. for the nine listeners who don't know who you are, maybe right. you could you know give us a, a brief overview of of your your story. Sure. Well, when I um well, I, a movie that came out that we we're just talking about, Fat Sick and Nearly Dead, essentially chronicles my journey 
from when I hit 40 years of age. I'm 53 today. Uh, oh, Leo. I, pardon? Is no, that... no, 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 no. Not today. Oh, in my oh okay. I, I just turned 53. I'm a Gemini. Okay. I turned, I turned 53 in May. Okay. So, so I'm in the first quarter, I think, of my 54th year, right? Uh-huh. Because if you turn 53, it means it's your 54th year. Anyway, um, so I basically was um, diagnosed with an illness when I was 32 and right up until 40, so for eight long years, I suffered this debilitating autoimmune disease where I had to take medication every morning and every night. And this also led to a lot of weight gain. Uh, it led to a lot of unhappiness and sadness and a lot of frustration. And a lot of other things were going wrong in my health by being pre-diabetic, by having high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And as I've said many, many times, I was like one hamburger away from a heart attack kind of a situation. Uh, so on my 40th birthday, I sort of realized not, not that I didn't know, but it was kind of like a wake-up call that I'd hit 40. And now that I'm 53, I don't think 40 is very old at all. But yeah. when you first hit 40, you kind of think it's old, right? And and I just didn't like the fact that I was up at the 330-pound mark. I didn't like the fact that I was somebody on medications every morning and every night. And um, I didn't like the fact that there was I was limited in many things that I could do. Um, I, I this illness, which was um, chronic urticaria angioedema, which was a swelling of the body and a really chronic hives all over my skin and underneath the dermis and in the joints. Uh, it really limited things that I loved to do, like tennis, like golf, like kayaking, like hiking, like um, just going and doing normal everyday stuff, lifting weights, just anything that had pressure physically touching my body. It, it was um, it, it would just cause enormous pain and problems. So I decided that I needed to do a complete change on my life. And uh, the fact that 70% of all disease are caused by lifestyle choices. And when you look at what those lifestyle choices are, it's smoking. And I was doing that. It was eating and drinking crap. And I was doing that. It was not getting enough sleep. And I was doing that. It was not exercising enough. And I was doing that. It, it's also about not being connected to friends and family. Now, I was doing that. Um, and then the, third, the last one was stress, and I wasn't handling that. So I kind of was failing on five out of the six sort of major, major lifestyle choices that affect our health. And so I decided, Howard, that I would sort of re-address these priorities in my life. And I started out with the idea and premise that I would just return back to Mother Nature and eat only her food, like plants, things like fruits, vegetables, nuts, beans, seeds, whole grains. And to kick that journey off, which I had dedicated myself to doing two years of that after kind of 40 years of hammering myself, I thought two years would be a good amount to see whether or not I could cure myself of this illness. I decided to do 60 days of just drinking juice for the first two years of my journey. I thought I would supercharge my micronutrient intake. I thought that it was kind of like a fast. I liked the idea of, of, of um, putting myself into this state where I was purely just, you know, enabling the body to absorb as much nutrition as possible without doing much work in mm-hmm. terms of digestion. And I was also close to water fasting, and I didn't want to go quite that far. 
And then I decided right at the last minute to put a camera on myself and the rest is history. And that's the movie Fat Sick and Nearly Dead. And those nine people listening that haven't seen it can go out and watch that on Amazon Prime. I just took it down from Netflix, so it's not up there anymore. But it's on Amazon Prime, it's on iTunes, and it's on the RebootWithJoe.com website for free. So oh. there's plenty of ways to watch it. Great. So when you, say, when you turned 40... You you wanted to turn this around. Was that the moment in which you started trying to figure out what to do? Or had you sort of been flirting with the information for a while before then? So I tried many things out. I mean, this is the incredible thing about being fat and about being sick is that you're reminded about it every day. It's not like someone in the street comes up and says, hey, Joe, guess what? You're 100 pounds overweight. And you go, you're kidding. I never knew that. Oh, thank you for telling me. Like, People who are overweight know it every day. They live with themselves. When they get in in the shower, out of the shower, when they get dressed, when they're trying to get into the, the tra train seat, the plane seat, whatever it is, they know it. So it's not like I didn't think about things I could do to try and improve my position. I guess that what I hadn't done, uh, Howard, is I hadn't committed to it. I kept procrastinating. I kept putting it off to next week, next month. I said, I'm going to get around to that. Right now, it's just not good timing. I'm too busy. Right. So, to me, it was, a, it was a priorities thing. It was having priorities out of whack. Mm -hmm. so, be so before you set that priority, were you still thinking, like, I'm going to do Mother Nature's foods? No, no. So, so that's a good question. No, I, I kind of knew in the back of my mind if I wanted to be in the house and mirrors and get really honest deep down that the food was a problem, but I loved it so much, I just didn't want to give it up, right? Mm -hmm. So I kept trying to avert that personal one-on-one -on -one Joe Cross to Joe Cross conversation. So I think deep down I knew, Howard, but I, it wasn't in – it hadn't been verbalized, if that makes sense. Uh-huh, gotcha. Um, so I'm really curious about the decision to do the, you know, to put the camera on you because your, your, your life took a very different turn based on that. And I'm, you know, I'm curious whether you think the camera is what made you successful this time in part. Yeah, so it's a good question. And, and, and I've been asked it many times and I do believe that the camera was incredibly helpful. Um, I think that the camera enabled – the camera was my community, if you like. It wasn't, it wasn't like a stick. It was more a carrot. It was more the fact that these people out there that would be watching this are going to be really backing me and wanting me to succeed. And so it was something that I felt I – actually, I actually started to imagine – um, the type of people that would be watching this. And I created this, this, um, this image of a woman working at an AT&T call center that, you know, and it's just, this is a true story. It's quite incredible. I, I had this vision of someone and I just thought about her work, working in an AT&T call center. Don't ask me why an AT&T call center. It was just something that came to mind. I don't even know if they have them. But I just had this imagination and I would think about her watching the movie and willing me on and really wanting to see if I can do it so that she can do it. And as it turned out, I ended up meeting someone, many, many people from call centers who did it. Not necessarily an AT&T one, but just from call centers. And it's funny how that, that, that came about. But I was, it, it really was the community. And the, 
the idea of the camera on myself was more, um, it was a two-way street. It was for support and also that I wanted to give something back. Um, my father was a doctor. My brother is a doctor. My sister is a nurse. My mum was a nurse. I'd been in financial services. I hadn't really done a lot to support, you know, my fellow um, human beings, whereas my mum and dad and brother and sister had been giving a lot back. So I thought that by doing this and sharing it, it was sort of also part of like a, a long overdue payback. Mm. And so, you know, you mentioned you were in financial services and you were a su successful trader on, yeah. the, was on the Sydney Stock Exchange, I think. Ah, uh, the Futures Exchange. Futures I, Exchange. I was a day trader before it was cool. Okay. <laughs> so this is something that, that really fascinates me around the, the people that I work with. Very often, you know, I mean, around their health, they have no self-efficacy like, oh, I couldn't resist this or I don't know. I'm too lazy for this. And yet when I look at like, like what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm an astrophysicist. I'm um, I'm a successful patent attorney. Like, how did you um, understand the fact that you were really competent and successful? And I imagine that being in financial services and being a day trader before was cool, required discipline required research, required stamina, required saying no to certain things that you'd want to do in the moment because of the, the, the later payoff. How did you um, navigate in your mind, Joe Cross, successful business person, successful in life broadly, and a failure at this one area that you keep procrastinating the most important thing? Yeah, okay. So clearly I navigated it pretty poorly until I was 40, right? So I wasn't navigating it. And the the idea of actually um, what, what I thought, Howard, is I thought that I'd been successful at startups, at building things and creating things because I moved from the futures exchange world into other areas of business and did successful startups. So I kind of... You know, I thought, I think there's a part of the success of in business which led me to be the way I was. In other words, you're fearless. You don't think anything can beat you. You're just optimistic, optimistic, optimistic mm. all the time, okay? Now, that can work in business. That confidence level, that like no matter what happens, we'll push through, okay? But when it comes to your health, you can't ignore the biological laws of cause and effect. And just pushing through on health is different to building a business or creating a company, you know. So I think that the two are quite different in the skill set that you require to navigate through both. And what I did was is I used to go to the doctor and say, hey, doc, I'm sick. Fix me. Here's some money. So I was outsourcing my health and well-being, and I was putting the controls into somebody else's hands. So what happened on my 40th birthday is I decided to reclaim that responsibility. I decided to become the CEO of my own health. I decided to be accountable to myself. And that was the shift. The shift was that, oh, hold on a second, my health is something that I'm actually capable of controlling you know 70 mm. percent of all disease is caused by our own lifestyle choices just think about that that means there's there's two types of people out there if they're listening right now if they're sick there's the group that's just bad luck 
and there's the group that are doing it to themselves. That, that's the only, they're the only two alternatives that you can be in if you're sick. And 70% of that group, the, the 70% of the illness is the ones doing it to themselves. So that's the mindset that I took into it. And navigating forward from that, it doesn't mean that I'm an expert at it now or I'm like super successful at now because I'm not. I do my best, but I certainly have my moments and times where I relapse and I fall off the, the wagon and I got to pick myself up, dust myself off and get back on. Um, and, you know, when it comes to these deep, deep, in you know, embedded emotions that are connected to food, you know, not for everybody, not even for half, but for a really good percentage of the population, probably call it 25 or 30%, I think, there is a deep-seated connection to our food and that relationship with food. Um, and that could be sugar, it could be fat, it could be salt, it could be any of those sorts of flavors, those, those makeups of what makes food that are deep bonds that go back to our earliest days on mm. this planet that are extremely hard to break. And... They are extremely hard to gain a perspective on. And I know myself that if stress comes, you know, if, I, if I'm under enormous stress, I don't choose alcohol. I don't choose nicotine. I don't choose fat. I don't choose salt. I choose sugar. Yep. Yeah, sugar is sugar's my go-to safety, you know, it's, my, it's like my safety blanket, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So you've got to, unpacking all of that, is is a is a challenge and it takes a enormous amount of focus and belief and so there were some skills i had from business that were useful and there were others i had to let go of hmm. there's so yeah, i took so many notes there's so many th threads i want to follow up on but one, one of them that, that comes to me is the the idea like you put a camera on yourself like you're saying i'm this journey is going to ideally make me a role model for other people and and no, you know, you said like you're not perfect. You have slip ups. Like my question is like there's there's a and maybe you didn't think about it so much at the time or maybe you did. But the idea, you know, like when we set ourselves up as examples for other people, it makes our own slip ups and failures very fraught because there's you know, there's yeah. there's things that I share out of vulnerability with people and there's other things that I don't share. And I'm not entirely sure if it's because I'm ashamed of it or if I think like if they if they heard that I did that, it would give them license. And sure. I'm wondering how, how, you know, it's been eight, you know, 10 years now yeah. you, since you've, you've been a public figure and you've had ups and downs. How do, how do you think about navigating that? Yeah, it's a really it's a really tricky situation because you want to be as transparent as possible, but you also want to be the role model where you don't want to let people down. So, you know, I have just, I don't know how I can explain what I've done, but I've tried to be as honest as I possibly can be. Um, on my, in my world of posting, I don't post a lot of food photos. Mm. Um, and the reason for that is, is that I always feel that somewhere in the world somebody on day seven, day eight, day 10 of a reboot, which is just drinking juice only, 
And they're doing that because they saw my movie. And so they don't want to then go to my Instagram or Facebook or Twitter feed and see me eating, you know, a, a big meal because it's like, oh, I want, you know. So at the same time, I also want to show people what I eat and how it's okay to eat this sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I do a lot of that navigating in the public speaking environment when I've got a couple of hundred people in a room. And that's, that's my chance to be more honest and more transparent. I think on social media, it's very difficult because people hide behind, you know, URL or, you know, handles. There's no accountability. On the social environment, I try a little bit more control, but certainly in public or in my films, when I'm controlling the, the narrative in the film and I can go into a lot of detail. Sometimes on social media, you're putting a photo up, you're putting a three-sentence thing. You don't have the time or the ability to explain it. I've just been in Europe for a one-month vacation, all right? And during that one-month vacation, I enjoyed myself. You know, I had a great time. Did I eat everything I wanted to eat and do everything I wanted to do? No, I had constraints on me. I had, you know, all right, I'm going to like, I'm still focused on what I'm doing. Uh, but are there days like, I'll give you an example. A thing called a crepe. Do you know what chocolate crepes are, Nutella crepes? They're very big in Europe. Yep. Okay. So this whole trip, for the whole 28 days I was in Europe, I had two of them. Okay. To me, that's a great achievement from where I was 15 years ago, where if I'd been away 28 days, I would have had 28. So I look at it in this perspective. And so on a personal level, if I'm in a, if I'm explaining on a podcast or I'm in a room talking, I can account to say that that's my treat. It's an exciting moment. It's, it's, it's a, it's a time to really enjoy and celebrate. So that's, that's how I, I counter that. And the slip-ups, I think people understand. I think the more honest you are with your audience about your failures, I think the, the better they can associate and connect with you. As I've always said, you know, I'm not going to be on a, a series of Baywatch running down the, the beach with the washboard stomach. That's just not who I am. But I'm also going to be someone who sort of classifies being healthy as being able to do the things you want to do with ease. That's how I think about being healthy. And so far, you know, touching a lot of wood, I'm, I'm able to achieve that. Mm -hmm. and, and because you had, you know, almost the, the, this the, the autoimmune condition is almost like a gift now, because like as long as that's not reemerged, it's, it's like, you know, you're on you're on the right track. So a few pounds here or there doesn't seem to bother you as much as if Urukari came back. I didn't do this to lose the weight. That's the whole thing. I didn't go on this journey to lose the weight. I did it to get off the medication. Um, and so, you know, losing 100 pounds and now and now being 50 pounds back on. So dropped 100 and now 50. So having a net 50 loss from where I am, I'm still happy with that. Um, you know, if you go and do 60 days of juice, anyone's going to lose a lot of weight. Once you start adapting back, back into a normal lifestyle, it's just normal that you're going to gain muscle mass and gain fat depending on what your diet is. Mm -hmm. 
So, I mean, so one of the, you know, the the controversies about a long juice fast is that it is it is extreme and it's not like the rest of your life. So I'm curious, like when so when you started on yours and I know you had all this extraneous stuff, you had a film crew, you had you know presumably plans for this. But at, during those 60 days, what was the sort of mental, psychological, spiritual work that you did or didn't do or discovered later? Like what if someone's watching this and goes, OK, I want to do this juice fast like you can do a juice fast. And then at the end of the juice fast, you're the same person, except you did a juice fast. Like what's what's the inner work during that time, do you think? So I did the juice fast for that length of time, really to try and get off my medication. And I felt that it was one of my last things left after trying so many other things that were not addressing this, 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 you know, what food I was taking into my body. Um, could I have done just eating fruit, vegetables, nuts, beans, and seeds? Probably. I don't know. I don't know if it would have worked. I, as, as it turned out, Howard, I did 60 days of juice and then 90 days of fruits, vegetables, nuts, beans, and seeds, and then I was off on medication. So it was five months later. Um, I was going to go the two years, as, you, as I said earlier in our chat. I didn't need to go the two years. It ended up completely medication-free after five months. I don't know if I'd just done the plants only whether that would have worked or not. I kind of have a gut feel that that 60 days of juice really was required to do a deep cleanse on my whole system. Spiritually, I got into a zone after about 15 days. You know, I'd say it was more around day 18 or 19, if I'm going back and being precise, that I felt like I was running... I was I was at a different level of lightness in my head and a spiritual zone of, you know, when you've got a, I, I use the ex expression of you have a, a, a stick shift car and you go from one to two to three to four to five and six, and then you're going so well, you're actually looking for that next gear to go to. Yeah. Well, around day 18, 19, I found it and I was in complete overdrive and it was an incredibly spiritual space to be in. Um, my sleep, my thought process, my sense of smell, all of my senses, the colors, the brightness of color, just it, it, it took my breath away, just this, this, um, this uh, connection to nature. And so that really was the turning point where I felt that I was – sort of pushing into the wind where the wind swung around and was at my back. Mm -hmm. And it, when I got to day 60, I'll be honest with you, I wanted to go longer, but it was because of the film crew. I couldn't afford to go any longer. I had to shut it down. So I feel that if I hadn't have had the camera crew and it got past that day 18, 19, 20, I probably would have gone longer because I was in such a great space. So... I was a very different person at the end of that 60 days, just from a sense of accomplishment, from a just a self-gratification <clears throat> of achieving <clears throat> something that you set out to do, um, just from the fact that my, my prednisone was down from 60 milligrams to 2.5 milligrams a day. It still took another three months to be completely clear of those. So that, you know, you've got to come off slowly. But just generally speaking, overall, I was 
it, it, it was an incredible feeling. Now, the navigation of that during it, were there tough times? You bet there was. But I sort of had this vision that if I don't do this now, if I don't sacrifice this time now, I am going to not have a lot of time at the end. I'm gonna I'm gonna be departing this planet a lot earlier than what I wanted to. Mm. So I really put that fear and had convinced myself that this was my real, you know, I'd hit rock bottom and I really needed to do it. So what strategies did you use and learn and develop and practice during those tough times? So I'm, I'm imagining like a craving yeah. for a burger on day 31 and the crew might be not there. And like, OK, here I am oh, the crew eating and they come in from the restaurants and on their breath, I could tell you everything they'd eaten. <laughs> um, so, OK, so some of the strategies one of the ones that I would do a lot of was I would imagine that uh, my body was self-eating itself. And because my body and your body, Howard, and everyone listen, listening, their body is a lot smarter than they'll ever be, it knows what to digest to give up for energy, and it keeps the good stuff. It doesn't go and eat your eyeball. It doesn't eat your liver <laughs> or your kidney. It, it, it eats the stuff it doesn't need. So it's almost like the body gives up. Hey, Joe, go and digest this. Go and eat this. Go and have that. Use this for fuel. All right? We're good here. Use this. So I would imagine that going on. I would imagine maybe a little tumor that was getting started being blown up and disintegrated and my body getting rid of it. I would imagine that my military, we've all got a military inside us. We've all got a... Navy and Army and Marines and Air Force. We've got this incredible fighting machine that's there for us. But like any military, if you cut the supplies, it ain't going to perform for you. So I would imagine the green juice, the red juice, the orange-colored juice, the purple-colored juice, that these juices were coming down full of nutrients and they were the supply chain for the information and the energy required for my military to go to work and beat the disease and beat, you know, the bad guy, so to speak, if you like. So this was something that I would use a lot, this power of visualization to sort of say, no, that burger can wait, that taco can wait, that, you know, cheese burger, uh, that uh, cheese pizza, whatever can wait. It can all wait. Mm. Now I'm in rebuild mode. So that was a sort of example of something that I would employ. Right. So I'm curious to when you say like that could wait as opposed to that's off limits. I don't do that anymore. You know, you know if, if, if... Well, the idea of eating, I knew I had to eat again. Mm -hmm. okay. So the, the, the idea of eating again. So I, I don't like, for example, for example, there are certain things that that journey for me was 12 years ago. It's coming up to, it's coming up, um, uh, it's coming up 12 year anniversary of when I started that journey, okay, in, in October. So I have not had alcohol since. I have not had a uh, cigarette since. I have not had soda since, except for ginger ale. It's the only soda I've had is like my, it's like my treat. Mm -hmm. um, is a ginger ale. If I have a round of golf and people having a beer, I'll have a ginger ale. So 
I haven't had fast food restaurant chain. I haven't gone to a fast food, fast food, you know, McDonald's, Burger King, pizza. I don't eat that food. So there are certain things that are gone. But at that moment in time, Howard, I wasn't thinking that I'm never going to have that again. That was a little bit too much Mm -hmm. for me. It was more like, let's just take this one step at a time. Let's not set these parameters too high just yet. As it turned out, for the next four years, I was basically pescatarian. I only had the only, the only animal product I consumed was from the sea for the next four years. I didn't know that going in. I didn't know that on day 22, for example. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Right. So um, it's interesting because uh, when I asked you about strategies, you mentioned like this, this imagery of what was happening in your body. And I've never thought about that. I mean, I coach people all the time, but like we know that that imagery in and of itself can be healing, right? Even. Oh, yeah, you bet. Right. Like that I was mean, like a double, uh, a double dose. And, you know, I like golf, right? I like playing golf. And I had read um, somewhere in like Scientific American magazine or something where they had taken a group of people um, and I forget how many it was, but they divided them into three groups. And for 30 days, one group played golf every day and their golf improved. Another group didn't play any golf at all and their golf didn't improve. But another group had to visualize playing a game of golf every day, but never pick up a stick. Hmm. And their game improved. And I always remember that as sticking out to me that, wow, that's pretty incredible that if you just imagine you're playing a round of golf, like every shot, just think about going around 18 holes and just think about that and what you've got to do in the swing, and that can help your game. So I remember being on the road and, and, and thinking about that little story and, and therefore employing it the way I just shared with you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that uh, is that something you've taught other people? Oh, well, <clears throat> I don't know if I've ta- Well, I share it. So yeah. I think sharing is teaching. I mean, yeah. I, I'm a big believer, Howard, that not many people like being told what to do, right? People love telling other people what to do, but they don't, <laughs> don't like being told what to do. So I'm very careful with my language and words to try and sort of say, hey, this is what I did. If you're interested, I'm happy to answer questions. But you don't want to do it. Don't do it. Like it, it, it's all got to come from within. Um, these sorts of changes, these sorts of uh, um, situations, have to start deep inside. Um, nobody, nobody could tell me what to do. Um, my mum and dad were worried about me for many years, but all their worry, all of their conversations with me, it wasn't enough to make it happen. It had to come from a deep down part inside me right so um so they were worried your mom and dad were worried about your your health um but i'm imagining you, know, you grew i'm imagining you grew up eating a certain way was so you mentioned you know you were failing on five of the six pillars of lifestyle the one you were succeeding on was social and oh, it's for, good at that. for a lot of people the social while you know there's all the you know, the love and, and belonging and all that but there's also all the social behaviors like it's almost like having this having a, a strong social group can be an obstacle to change I, I couldn't agree with you more and 
you know, there are certainly friends of mine that were friends of mine back then that are no longer in my circle of group anymore because they don't like Joe not drinking. They prefer Joe to be the drinker and the and the mm. guy having all the laughs and the fun, and that's okay. I mean, I'm I'm cool with that. I think, um, you know, I've had many people, men and women, tell me that their marriages had to end because they're trying to make these changes and their partners weren't supportive. But in the end, they had to do it. And you know, there's 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 just choices we need to make on that front. I think the point I was talking about with the lifestyle choices is that people who are lonely people who are disconnected, people who don't feel like they're part of a community anywhere, um, that is a, a huge impact on their health. So so that I was sort of saying I was at least felt loved. I at least had a support group. I at least had people around me. But your point about <clears throat> social impacts, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of studies and a lot of research show that if you eat if you sit down at a table with two people to eat versus a table where there's eight or 10 or 12, you will eat more calories at the table with the more people huh. than you will at a table with two people, right? When it's family style and all the foods in the – and also, if you think about it, just think about all the number of times you're at a big table with 10 people. It's harder to get moving. You just can't have your meal and get going. It's like, I want coffee. I'll have a dessert. If you're having a dessert, I'll have a dessert. And all of a sudden, you're there. It's a, it's a much more environment to consume more calories. So that, you, I think your point is well taken that, yes, some people who are very social are always out and about. And how often do we do things with others where calories aren't, you know, involved? <laughs> Next time you want to meet with a friend, just go down the beach or go down the park and go for a walk and, Take a, a glass or a bottle of water with you. People will be like a bit freaked out. Like we're not having coffee. We're not having a burger. We're not having like a sandwich. We're not having lunch or dinner. We're not having breakfast. No, let's just go and do something where we have water. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, the fact that you chose juicing, which, you know, in, in the movie we see, it's a pretty it's a time intensive thing. It's labor intensive. You need the place to plug it in. You have all the it's almost like I'm thinking about like, you know, I'm Jewish. And, you know, so like people who are Orthodox Jews, they have all these rituals that kind of keep them f together in a small community and from interacting casually, socially with with non-Jews. It's almost like the, the juicing creates that kind of of separation. I wonder if, if, if that was like on purpose. So, no, that wasn't on purpose. I think. Um, I think it comes down to this, right? I, I think that that my my um, first of all, I agree with you that it's a ritual and it takes time, and there's you know. But I also go back to no pain, no gain. So you 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 know, we live in a society where we all want the easiest route to get from A to B, and that hasn't served us too well as a society. Just picking the easy road. You know, <clears throat> if everyone's got one of these now, everyone's got like, a, a smartphone. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you can press a button now and you can get 10,000 calories delivered to your door. Basically, you know, all you got to do is get out of the couch and walk to the front door, you know. So maybe you got to walk five yards. So this is a world now where we have created elevators we have created cars. We have, you know, 
we have so many um, technological advancements that reduce our output of energy and supercharge our input of energy in the form of highly processed food. So that technological mismatch is what got brought me undone, okay, when it comes to a lot of, a lot of my health. But I don't think it was being overweight that was my problem. It was the absence of the live, real information that is found in food. And I say that word not, not lightly. I use the word information rather than energy. See, in my mind, the carbohydrate, the fat, and the protein, that's the energy. Okay? Right. The micronutrients, the phytochemicals, the vitamins, the minerals, the phenolic acid, the enzymes, this is not energy. This is information that needs to be able to fight. It's communication skills. It's let's put the potassium in so that the cell can function how it's supposed to function, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I was doing is I was supercharging the energy, the carbohydrate, the fat, and the protein. I had plenty of that going in, but I just had it mostly coming from a processed world where it was void of the micronutrient value. So 5%, 5 to 8% is probably a, a, a good indication of where we are as a society um, in the United States, at least, and Australia and Great Britain and a few other uh, developed countries where about 5 to 8% of all calories are just plant food and the rest is animal product and processed. That is too low. And that's why we have so much chronic illness and disease and unhappiness and sadness in the world. I believe it needs to be much higher. I don't think it needs to be 100%. If you want to go 100%, like I went 100% for five months because I needed it. Because I was, I was on fire and I needed to address the situation. But in terms of a living your life, I think if you can get that number up to 50 and keep it in the 50% number, I think you're doing 10 times what the average person's doing. I think you're in a great state to maintain a very good health and to be strong and healthy uh, from, a, from a not getting sick point of view. You know, 12 years... I have I rarely get sick. I think I've been sick maybe three times in twelve years, um, and so these are the these are the wins that that I'm I'm very big about. And I forget the question now because I went off on a tangent with information. But yeah, it was about no. You're talking about no pain, no gain. About the, yeah, yeah. The, ha- the, ha- the hassles. You were talking about the juicing being being like um, this own little community and being isolated, like 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 the uh, city Jews, right? So so. I think that I didn't do that on purpose. What I did is I set about rectifying the, 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 the scoreboard, the scorecard, if you like. I had turned my back on Mother Nature, and I needed to reintroduce myself to her. And I found the best way to do that was to supercharge with juice. Because when you juice, you are extracting the water that's trapped in the plant. Most of our planet is water. Most of us is water. Water is life. We all know that there's very few things that I'm confident about saying that all humans need. Water is one of them. 
Water and air, I think they're a pretty safe bet that we both, we all need those, right? <laughs> not all of us need fish. Not all of us need animals. Not all of us need a tomato. Not all of us need an eggplant. But we all need water and air. So I wanted to go as close to that as possible. And when you juice, you are extracting out that micronutrient values from the plant that's trapped in the water. So whether you eat five sticks of celery and pass through the fiber through your bowel, and if you can eat five sticks of celery, good luck, or put five sticks of celery through a juicer where you extract out that nutrition and drink it quickly without having to go through the, the chewing, as long as you're getting enough fiber in your diet, if you're, having a, if you're not juice only and this is just part of a habit, then you're fine to do that. What you don't want to do is you don't want to go and juice like seven oranges and supercharge and overload your body on too much glucose and fructose, right? You don't want to do that. <clears throat> you don't want to buy juice that's at ambient temperature that's in the middle of a supermarket that's basically water and flavoring and sugar. You don't want to do that. You want to have stuff that's alive. Can you juice it and keep it in the fridge for three days? I do it all the time, as long as it's sealed in a jar. So my habit of juicing is maybe two days a week I devote an hour. And I put the music on, put a TV show on. I'm just happy in my kitchen. It's like prepping a meal. I chop everything up. I put it through. I get all my mason jars. Anyone who follows me on social media would have seen me doing this. And that way, I've got juices in my fridge, grab and go whenever I need them, so I don't feel like it's a lot of labor-intensive work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm working with a very smart company in, in Southern California for powders and extracts and ways that you can take that great nutrition so you can just add water to it. So it's a lot simpler and a lot easier. And I think that we're starting to use technology, whereas technology has been a, a, a sort of a problem for someone like me. Now it's starting to be a saving like great technology in machines, great technology in nutrition products that you just add water to and shake and stir. So I think that we are, we're, we're crossing that and uh, starting to turn it around. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things I really like about that approach. One is like the idea that you, know, you, you start out by saying no pain, no gain. Like the fact that you're, you're saying like, I'm doing this thing that's uncomfortable. I have to spend a lot more on food and, you know, I'm getting a lot less calories, but I'm spending more like, oh, I must I must care about this. It's like you can you can look at yourself and m make a judgment about yourself that's different based on what just watching what you're doing. Yeah, 100 percent. No, I, I, I totally agree with that. And, and, and that's that's a real a really good point. Right. And the, the other thing is that when you said, like, I wanted to listen to nature for the first time. Like, you know, I'm, I'm friends no, with lots of I wanted to listen to me just that it actually happened to hit me for the first time. Yeah. Because when you when you eat crap food, Howard, you can't breathe very well. You know, like my sense of smell had been lost on me. Hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I'm thinking like I have a lot of friends who are environmentalists who are 
you know, and they'll go on camping trips. And, and there's like this environmental festival near me every uh, July 4th weekend to like, you know, save this river in, in, in an urban area and buy tracts of land around it. And the, the festival is like waste free. So, you know, it's either compostable or, you know, reusable, no plastic, anything. And yet when you go to the food court, there's funnel cakes, Coca-Cola, you know, giant turkey legs. You know, it's like people don't understand that their that their bodies are also nature. And I love yeah, I love these. So like this is this is nature's information in the most intimate sense. Like you yeah. can go out into the woods and still be separate because you're you're full of processed stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, whatever you eat becomes you, right? So that's something that I always remember. And when I go and have my crate with Nutella on it in Europe, I know it's going to become me. But those days, i got to make sure that I have my healthy, beautiful Greek salads, my green juice in the morning when I was in Greece. And I kind of feel that that, that balance is something that is really achievable for for those that have got to a point mentally to do it. Just taking a step back with your nature thing, I, I always look at this is that, you know, I believe that if you're broken, Howard, like, you know, what I mean by the word broken is that it, I'm, I'm quite a binary person when it comes to these things. I know there's a lot of gray in the world, but I'm quite black and white, you know, and when it comes to your health, you're either you're, you're either broken or you're whole and some days you might feel broken and that's okay. Other days you feel whole or some people feel broken for quite a long time. And everyone listen can ask them that question. Are you whole at this moment or are you broken? If the answer is broken, I think it comes down to two relationships in your life that are broken. Okay? And it doesn't have to be both of them. It could be just one of them is broken, but generally it's both. And those two relationships are the relationship with yourself the love of yourself, and the love of your plants. So what I mean by that is, is that in order to be strong and whole, you really need to love yourself. And I'm not talking about taking a million selfies. I'm talking about a true deep love of yourself and a respect and an honour, which really sort of comes when you, when you reach that peace with yourself. That's where you nourish, look after yourself, take it easy, and not so hard on yourself. Your you, 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 your mental state can change. Rather than waking up in the morning, looking in the mirror, and saying you're ugly, you're fat, you're a loser, you're a hopeless person, you start to say, you know what, Joe, you're a good person. You are great. You can do great things. And then your choices for what you're going to eat that day are buoyed by more love. And therefore, I love myself. I'm going to have a green juice. Not I hate myself. I'm going to eat a box of Oreos. So that love with self. And there is the love with plants. If you think about this relationship, Howard, that plants have had with us as humans, just think about it. They were here before us. I don't care if you believe in Adam and Eve or you believe in, in um, the other one, which is the one I believe in, which is the uh, evolution. Word just escaped my mind for a second there. <laughs> so plants were here first. What did those plants do? They gave us shelter. You know, we chopped trees down, protected us. What else did they do? They gave us firewood so that we could keep ourselves warm. 
Yes, they gave us these beautiful fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and beans. They gave us all of these things to eat. But also that beautiful dance of breath. We breathe out CO2, they take it in and give us back O2. So this connection with us and plants, it is so strong that if you turn your back on that connection, if you cease to understand how intertwined we are with nature, you will break. So that's what happened to me. I'm speaking from experience here. I turned my back. I was eating just, you know, I was eating white, black and brown food. I wasn't eating food with real color. So those two relationships, guarantee you, you ask someone who's broken, at least one or both of those are broken. People who are whole, people who are really healthy, have a pretty good relationship with themselves and with nature. Hmm. Oh, there's yeah, there's there's so there's so much to unpack in terms of what you said about like our relationship with plants in terms of like their their information. It's like, you know, it's it's not scientific to assign like intention and consciousness to non-humans, but it seems silly not to like plants love us so much. Yep. Uh, look, but I think that people who garden People who have the plants in their homes, I think they understand that. I think they they get that connection, you know. Um, you know, there's a lot of doctors and a lot of thought um, where people are think that some plants shouldn't be eaten that we eat, you know, nightshades, for example, because they think that they fight back and cause inflammation. I've got many friends that that have read that book, The Plant Paradox, and are operating that way. And that's cool. You know, it works for them. Great. You know, I, 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 do, I do feel that when food is made with love, it tastes better. I can't, I, can't, I can't explain to you why, Howard, but it just does. Yeah, I've, I've gone to retreat centers and then I ask for the recipe and then I make it and I go, oh, this is just regular. This isn't like, you know. Yeah, that wasn't as good. That wasn't, that wasn't as good as the brochure. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I was like eating you know, like Buddha's tears. Like. Yeah, no. I, so, so there's a look. I always say that what we know, Howard, is like two inches. What we don't know, you can go to the moon and back 10 times. There's so much we don't know and don't understand. We are just mere species on this little planet in this huge solar system. There's so much going on. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not being down on us. We've done incredible things. We've been pretty amazing in what we've achieved. But we really are, you know, we really are very small and 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 what we what we what we don't know is so vast. So I, I never I never I, I used to be the old Joe in my twenties was I don't believe in any of that kind of stuff. But now I'm open to all of these possibilities because you know fifty three. I don't think I'm old, but I'm not young. I'm somewhere in the middle, and I I feel that that um to, to have that understanding that that we have so much to learn. Uh, it keeps me curious. And a lot of people sort of, you know, if there's one gift I think you can give people is a gift to be curious. I think curious people um, 
can uh, can find uh, can find. Uh, you, if you're curious, you, it, it's it's not that difficult to be happy. It's quite interesting. I think there's a big connection between that. You know, if you're curious and you have a decent relationship with yourself, you can find the right way, even if you're lost. Yeah, yeah. I, I think happiness is all about being useful, but I think being curious leads you to being useful. Mm -hmm. Nice. So before I let you go, you've got a new film that you've been working on about uh, kids. Can we talk about that for a few minutes? Sure, sure. So, it, it, well, the movie came out on Netflix in 2017. And so it's not new, new, but Netflix had it buried there, which is why I took it back. So we've got some exciting plans for that coming into 2020, where we're going to get that movie out for free around the world. So everywhere I went, we, we made Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead 1. And then I made the second film, which was all the people that had been touched by the first film and showcasing them around the world. And then everywhere I went, people said, Joe, what about the kids? What about the kids? You know, my movies that I try to make, I don't like pointing out the obvious, all the problems, because there's a lot of problems in the world, and that's easy going around saying problem one, problem two, problem three. What I wanted to do was showcase what incredible things are being done around America and the world, for that matter, on people that are really changing and making a big impact when it comes to the next generation. And so what we did is we went around the United States because I didn't have a budget to go worldwide, but I just went in the US. And we found organizations and foundations and individuals and programs that are really making a difference. Programs where doctors are subscribing fruits and vegetables in Harlem to people that they can go and get from the farmer's market produce for free because that's what they need. We had... Uh, wellness Foundation out there in East Hampton that is changing a whole community. Ten thousand people have been affected by the way that they're going through and 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 teaching just simple wellness goals and ideas into the kids. So you know, getting into schools. So we we went and did that, and I'm really proud of the movie. I think it's I think it's one of my best uh, pieces of work yet. And uh, yeah, just just super uh, blessed to be able to have a platform where I can go and tell stories and people will listen, Howard. Yeah, it's like that's my favorite thing about the podcast is just the people I can connect with, like having this conversation with you. It's like I can just imagine the joy and like, look at all these bright spots and let's go hang with them. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what you're doing with your podcast and others, I think this is a really important uh, time in the media world because you know, we've been chatting for, you know, just under an hour and a lot of people don't get a chance to deep dive today. Everything's sort of so soundbitey and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to go deep. And I really think that that's something that's been lost on society, that ability to go deep. And we need to have the places when it's the right time, either on a long walk or doing the housework or on a journey in the car or on a plane trip. I listen to a lot of podcasts on plane trips myself. I don't like watching TV on plane. I closing my eyes and just listening listening to a podcast, and I think that's important. So, well done to you for uh, for pushing that information out there and sharing that with the world. It's very important. Well, thank you. And for folks who want to uh, follow what you're up to and stay in touch, where do they go? So for now, go to rebootwithjoe.com. That's um, my website. My Instagram is re is uh, Joe the Juicer. Uh, the same with Facebook. Uh, we've also got Reboot with Joe Instagram. And 
you know, the newsletter is probably the best way to stay in touch with me. So when you go to the website, just sign up for the Joe Cross newsletter. And uh, I put that out once a week. And that has lots of information about what we're doing next and <clears throat> all the exciting stuff. We've just released a brand new juicer, which I'm super excited about. So there's a lot of stuff happening. And, you know, I'm just I'm just doing my best, Howard. Just, you know, take each day as it comes, mate. As long as I get my fruits and veggies into me, I'm happy. All right. Well, thank you for, for everything you've been doing, for the, you know, the tens of millions of people's lives you've changed. And uh, thank, well, thank you. Thank you, Howard. It's, um, you know, it's a great, as I said, it's a, it's a great honor. And, um, you know, I love telling stories. I'm going to keep telling them. And I'm just really appreciated that, that people like to listen. So fantastic. Mm -hmm. And uh, as, I, as I always sign out with Howard, juice on, mate. All right. Thank you so much, Joe. It was great talking with you. Bye now. All right. I hope you enjoyed meeting Joe Cross as much as I did. I hope you found his insights, his journey inspiring. I love his accent and I love his upbeat demeanor and generous spirit. So be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode, which would be plantyourself.com slash 334. Not only do we have links to everything Joe Cross, I also uh, splurged on a machine transcript of the conversation. It did a pretty good job for a machine, for AI. I think I can keep my day job. I don't think they can uh, interview and podcast quite yet. But, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see there's some funky stuff. I made some corrections, but I missed others because uh, what's the point of paying a machine to do it if I just have to go redo it afterwards? Anyway, that's at uh, plantyourself.com slash 334. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on hundreds, hundreds of archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. And while you're there, you can click that Patreon button on the right sidebar and help support the show because the show is free for everyone and it's supported by those who can afford it. So if you're one of those people and you think that the mission of this show is something that is worthwhile in the world, I would love for you to become a sustaining member. You can make a monthly ongoing contribution over at Patreon.com and you can get there from that link at Plant Yourself. In garden news, blueberries are done. I did a final elderberry harvest yesterday, got enough to put in the Instant Pot with some sugar and to put it on um, slow cook to make a, a kind of a syrup that uh, I hear is really good for various viral and bacterial things. The zucchini are slowing down. They're still coming in the size of baseball bats. And I've done a terrible job this year harvesting the okra um, I, I, I need a long sleeve shirt right out by the back door because when I go for the okra, you know, the little fuzzy stinging things cause me to itch uh, for hours afterwards. So I just need better protection than I can go in there and clip off the okra before they become the size of, you know, basilisk teeth or, or letter openers or something when they're, they're, they're just too hard to, uh, to cook. Running news this week has been mostly walking news. Um, I notice every time I run, my foot hurts a little bit more. So... Um, just staying off of the running. I did five miles of walking today, seven yesterday. So I'm getting the hours in, getting the time and feet in. It just feels weird to not be uh, out of breath at the end of the run. So gratitudes, of course, to Will Ridenour, the composer and musician who is responsible for this show's theme music, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. WillRidenour.com is where you can find more of his beautiful stuff. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons, as in 
Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Volkanovsky, David Bizek, Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Thelden, Victoria Dolan, Nova Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rollins, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Patterson, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams. Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Doronovizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderberg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, which rhymes with cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, Inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton. <laughs> Bonnie Lynch of Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Coble, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkins, Reed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rolls, Lynn Ayat, Julie Langholm, Hedda Gardy, Zatuzan Wak, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva Lel, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Smith Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Elizabeth Rothschild... Kelly Baker, Miracle, and Jesse Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divot, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Deb Casilla, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Lennon, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Karts, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Winter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Moulton, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer... Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Joan Borsten, Borstein, and Diane Goldman for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. So if you appreciate the Plant Yourself podcast and would like to help support the mission of the show, there's a few easy ways to do it. One is to just go to wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. Let other people know about it. Give us some stars. Give us some love. And that really helps us be found by more people. Something else, of course, you can do is let someone know about this podcast, someone uh, who you think would benefit. Send them maybe a couple of episodes that you think would uh, pique their interest or just uh, ask them to subscribe in general. And third, you can join arms and become a patron, a financial supporter of this show. You may have noticed that there's no advertising in the show and it's free for everyone and it's supported, paid for by those who can afford it. So if you would like to make a one time contribution or an ongoing monthly pledge, you can do so at plantyourself.com slash gift. All right. Time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Barons, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Vizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Kara Adams, Strong Fronsek, Jeanette Benham, Gil Assert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Toronto Vizo, Gio and Carol Argitati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck. The equally mysterious Tracy Z of Eva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harpers and Martha Bergner, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda, Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, The Plant, Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Shannon, Hirsch, Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzumak, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis... 
Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darmy Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Lenane Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McEntee, Dan McCorney, Stephen Leenan. Petty D. Martino, Mike and Donna Carson, Deanne Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bashford, Gunn Marie Hagen, Tracy Gullis, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, Diana, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt. Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoroska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught, Abedible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, and Danielle Roberts for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for today. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>